handle the truth. Three, two, one, zero. What's the mama say, hey, you. Tony? <laughs> yeah, you. Come here for a minute. I want to talk to you. What's the mama say? <laughs> well, here's what she said. That's what the mama says. Oh, that's right. <laughs> The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show are those of the co-host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of our affiliates. The topics and opinions on today's show should not be considered as medical, psychological, or professional advice. Take 12 Radio is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. And now, here's your host, The Man, The Myth, The Legend, The Monty Man. Ain't gonna lie to you. I wouldn't lie to you, Tony. No. No. <laughs> Saved by grace is the name of the game. Turn around, hit the ground. Time to lay your burden down. Welcome to the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show. Tony's here. Yes, I am back. Denver's here. Howdy. Dave F. is here. Yo. Yo. <laughs> Yo. Yo, ho, ho. Why I look at you, I just start laughing. Oh my god! Right? <laughs> I, don't know, like, I don't know if to be offended by that or I know, right? I'll I take that either. as a compliment. Know, I'll take right? it as a compliment. Right? Right? Aunt Mars here. Yes, I am. And okay, so now before I introduce our very special guest, I'm going to name drop be- because I can. See, He's got now, the buttons. I, I, are you ready? He never right. name drop. Now, amongst amongst some of our greatest advocates, as well as members of the recovery community uh, that have been on this show, Patrick Kennedy, huge, huge advocate uh, for us. Uh, Senator Jim Ramstead uh, was named the Legislature of the Year by the National Association of Alcoholism and Drug Addiction Counselors in 1998. Uh, Bill Moyers has been on the show several mm-hmm. times. Uh, with Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation. Uh, Bob Wiener, the former director of public affairs for the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. And I have a wonderful letter on my wall in the office area, if you'd ever care to read it. I like name dropping. Well, I'm going to drop... (laughs) At least it's a good one. I'm going to drop another one, because I'm really glad he's here. And and, and he is well-deserved to to be amongst these and uh, doing some powerful work. As it relates to the recovery community, people seeking treatment, health care, and the state of Oregon, and that is Mike Marshall, the director of Oregon Recovers. Hey, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. Welcome, Mike. Thank, Thank you, you for yes, being welcome. here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, we'll pin his name on the wall, and we'll name drop him. Hopefully, oh, we won't scare you there away. <laughs> <laughs> you should have quit while you were ahead. You made it to the wall. <laughs> on the wall with a Kennedy. Can't get out now. That's right. It took Marvin I years to make the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm still climbing. Yeah, you <laughs> it did. So, um, we're going to be talking about Oregon Recovers and uh, a little bit about uh, Mr. Marshall here. In uh, just a few minutes, he t- uh, took the bold drive from Portland through the traffic. His battery died on the way. Uh-huh. I mean, and he's still here. So through sleet and snow and whatever that was that our grandparents used to say. And mostly awake. And mostly awake. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, good deal. Okay. So I think I think we got some stupid criminals coming up. <gasps> I love those. I, don't you? Mm. That's correct, friends. It's time for Take 12 Recovery Radio's Stupid is as stupid does news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, enough. Enough. All right. <laughs> my hometown of Petaluma, California. Where? My hometown, Petaluma, California, about 50 miles north of San Francisco. Petaluma? Petaluma. Huh. My dad was city manager there for 20 years. Wow. Nice. 20 years. It's a long time for a city manager. <laughs> yeah, they usually kick him out because city council 
decides on that. So. Wasn't that like when the population was like 12? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing anymore. <laughs> Petaluma, a 23-year-old man broke into a hobby shop on or around 2.30 a.m. Saturday morning. What was he intending to steal? Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and, and remember, we're talking about addiction and stuff, right? Well, this was an ether-based clue. Oh, my God. <laughs> Testers, <Yep>. no doubt. <laughs> I drink NyQuil, but never I would I ever think of that. It's old school. I it, know. <laughs> it is old school. Got tired of the red phosphorus and the kitty litter Jesus stuff, Christ. right? Uh, an ether-based clue that came in half-pint bottles. Because his tennis shoes were falling apart, he stopped... <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> he stopped. Uh, uh, he stopped to fix them using the product he was intending to steal. The problem was, as these often are, he was a bit clumsy and spilled the adhesive, causing oh his God. right hand to adhere to the <gasps> cement floor of the hobby shop. <laughs> When attempting oh to break free God. of the sticky mess, he, his left hand became adhered to the floor <laughs> as well. Unfortunately, his unauthorized presence triggered a silent alarm. The police were able to apprehend him with no problem. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Another I, sticky situation. Another sticky situation. You can see the replay. Gee, <laughs> just sticking around. All right. Uh, we have two more. Um, Florida, of course. Of course. Everything happens in Florida. Poor Florida. <laughs> right? Bad rap. Oh my goodness! Uh, we got we got strip malls on every corner, just <laughs> handing out drugs. And we, I, Florida is kind of in trouble. I, you know, I, we used to take the radio station to uh, the Twelve Step Music Fest in the Florida Keys every year, and it was interesting how slow people drove on that long drive. <laughs> <laughs> I had to wonder what they were smoking or taking. I mean, I really, really slow. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, in Florida, a woman returned home from an evening of shopping to find that her driveway was missing. What? Yeah, it was gone. It was just gone. How do you uh, move a driveway? Well, apparently a group of men dressed as construction workers tore into her brick driveway, stealing each brick one by one. No one suspected anything because their construction workers were building a barn on her property. Oh, my God. The thieves took every brick and loaded them into several pickup trucks, and they've yet to be caught. So there you go. What do you get for bricks? Feeling creative, Mr. Addict, who's still active? I've heard it. Steal a driveway. Copper piping, but not bricks. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Florida. They were confiscating to go build the wall. <laughs> so, <laughs> there, they, there they were. That's right. <laughs> God. All right, now let's travel back to California. Oh, Lord. To Barstow. Ever been to Barstow? Mm. No. A little tiny <laughs> thing in the middle of the desert? Uh, well, a 40-year-old woman broke into and hot-wired a brand-new 2018 Ford Mustang. Ooh. Now, I'm not sure how you do that with these new cars, but she did. Uh, by the time she was able to maneuver her way into uh, the public street from an extremely large car lot, police were dispatched. <laughs> a chase would get, was given, and after only 12 minutes, a woman parked the shiny new Mustang in between two meter made vehicles that were parked where? Take in a guess. Friendly Station, huh? Pretty close. Yeah, right behind police headquarters in Barstow. <laughs> Once apprehended, she told police that her boyfriend told her if she was ever going to be accepted into law enforcement, she would have to learn how to park properly. She also asked police if she could play a round of golf before they booked her. She thought they were golf carts. What? <laughs> Is this a blonde joke? I, I, I <laughs> So there you go. There's our stupid She was definitely an addict. Did this come from the Shave Club? <laughs> the Dollar Shave Club? No, this wasn't the Shave Club this time. We, wow. Mike, we read things from the Dollar I Shave Club. I almost want to have a counseling session with that world. <laughs> Dude. Oh my gosh, it just, you know, it just gets more interesting all the time. Stop right there. Okay. It's time for Monty Man's Weekly Wine. That's right. I still love that baby. You love the baby. I love the baby. You love the baby. <laughs> all right, Denver. Oh, yeah. I did have one, didn't I? Yes, you did. <laughs> it's been kind of a long morning And throw them under the bus. Yeah. We do it all the time. We have no problem. Throw them under the bus. It was busy out at the center, and I didn't feel like I got a full night's sleep. 
So, anyways, yeah, uh, I went out yes uh, Saturday. I think it was. I was going to go get a haircut, and I was kind of in a hurry. I had a lot of business, and I had uh, to get around quite a bit, and I didn't want to get in a hurry. So I was going to grab a quick bite out at the Pioneer Villa. Pioneer Villa. Yeah, I, I said it. Yeah, it's out loud. Pioneer Villa. <laughs> Pioneer out Brownsville. Villa. Brownsville, Oregon. Pioneer Villa. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I paid. I went and ordered biscuits and gravy, and I thought that'd be pretty fast. Well, it showed up in a semi-timely uh, fashion. Yeah. But my whine about it was I went to pay for it out at the front counter, and, and the little gal out there in front was... Uh, not pleasant at all. I mean, she mm-hmm. wasn't ex- rude to my face, but she lacked the uh, the pleasantries that you would think a hostess taking your money would have. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I just kind of was wanting to whine. If you're into a position, a job like that, uh, mm-hmm. possibly uh, fake it till you make it, or maybe even if it's that far along, get a different job if you ain't happy. Because when you're paying some money, it'd be nice to have a crooked smile or something come across the counter at you. So what should we do at Pioneer Villa, Tony? Burn it down. Burn, Burn it down. <laughs> She's so radical. There wouldn't be a building standing with our whining around here. I, I hope I get to uh, pull that comment Not back. Only and that, maybe she was just having a bad day. You didn't get any Tabasco either. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot to mention that. The waitress didn't bring me to Tabasco. I know I wasn't going to be a big tipper with a, a $2 biscuit. But I normally <laughs> like a little Tabasco with it. So, anyways, folks, uh, sorry to throw you under the bus like that, but I just be, be known uh, we're watching. All right, yeah. we're watching, and we're not actually going to burn it down. No, 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 no we're not. We're not going to burn it down. Oh, the emails come rolling in. Right. <laughs> I'm a truck driver. Don't judge my place to eat. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, um, I, I have I have two. One's an inanimate object thing. Oh. The wiring behind your computer. <laughs> that never works. So I, I I did some rewiring the other day, and in the last couple of weeks we've changed the microphone things, and we got the headphone thing, and all that stuff. And so when you've got two hip replacements, bad knees, and arthritis, it's 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 an interesting venture to get down on your knees under your desk to fix your <laughs> wiring. And I'm sitting down there, and it's taken me an hour to do like a five-minute job, right? And the cat's in the way, and the dog's in the way, and all this stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a great wine. <laughs> what are you saying? Oh, you cats and dogs, and the baby's in the cradle. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking like about that, too. That song. <laughs> No, they multiply. They have babies down there. The wires? Yes. I'm t- I found stuff that I didn't... <laughs> and you I'm probably like, didn't put it down and there And I'm either. like, things that are supposed to plug into things that aren't plugged into anything. I'm like, where did that come from? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. So anyway, there's that. But here's 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 my, my truly irritating one, right? Recovery readings in 12-step meetings. Ooh, that rhymes. <laughs> Didn't no see that coming, did you? Recovery <laughs> readings and 12-step meetings that take 20 minutes or longer. Oh, my God. I have yeah. somebody like that. What in the world are you doing? <laughs> and I almost named her. Thank God I didn't. You're, you're reading the steps and the just oh for the days God. and the, the, the traditions and the traditions, amendments and the amendments to the amendments and on and on and on it goes. It's and like then, you read the book. And then we have the announcements. <laughs> <We> have the <laughs> announcements. <laughs> I forgot why I even came to the meeting. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to whine about in the meeting. <laughs> Smoke break. Smoke break. <laughs> That's why there are so many meetings to choose from. Ah. No, they follow you. Stop calling <laughs> me on do. my stuff. <laughs> they follow you. Uh, so that, that really does. Anybody else have anything to whine about? Mike, you anything to whine about? Oh, probably. We're going to be talking about health care, so. <laughs> oh, there's a lot to whine about in the Trump age. But let's move on. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, 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 so let's talk about my wife says, well, say something that's nice. All right. <laughs> Denver got his simply strapped uh, business cards. I got one. So if you want some leather, let's just leave it at that. If you want oh some leather. <laughs> Fine quality leather. Get a hold of Denver Wolf. You can get a hold of him through through our station here. How come you didn't have James do your wiring? He would have gotten down there. I had to get it done now. Oh, okay. I'm a drug addict. 
Got right it now. <laughs> now, 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 now. Can't be waiting around. All right, uh, we're going to take a break and come back, and we're going to be talking to our very special guest, uh, Mike Marshall, director of Oregon Recovers. As soon as we get back, listen to this. Turn around, hit the ground, time to lay your burden down. Hey there, this is Monty Meyer from Take 12 Recovery Radio, and I would like to invite you to tune into our brand new show, The Victory Report, the first and third Wednesday of every month for powerful testimonies featuring the men and women of Teen Challenge of Arizona who have been set free from life-controlling issues such as addiction, codependency, and self-harm. Simply visit us at Take12Radio.com and click on Follow Me on Podomatic. Once there, you can download any of our shows, including the all-new Victory Report. So mark your calendars for Wednesday, February 7th at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and join us to experience the solution you'll hear in every testimony. That's Take12Radio.com for the all-new Victory Report. This is Tony Morosi from the recovery band Self-Esteem, and we're listening to the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show with the Monty Man on KHLT Broadcasting. Turn my mic on. Welcome back. Our email address here is take12radio at comcast.net. What? What? You could send me to Arizona to interview those people. Would you like to go to Arizona? Oh, yeah. I'll go, too. Five centers. One adolescent, uh, one women's center, and three men's center. Well, I don't don't send me to the women's center. No, yeah. (laughs) Don't do that. We want to protect and keep everybody safe. I'll go to the women's center. There we go. I'll go as a videographer. Huh? They need a video. I'll go as a videographer. Video. Yeah, that. What you said. To the women's center? I'll be on the patio. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) all right. uh, So, listen, uh, addiction is no respecter of of men or women or um, political views or, or religion or faith or any of that stuff. Addiction is addiction. Right, Mike? That's right, and it will. Uh, there's no boundaries. There's no is no, no boundaries. No boundaries, <clears throat> and uh, so we're going to be talking about that. Uh, Mike Marshall is our guest, uh, public affairs consultant and former campaign manager to Governor Kitzhopper. Uh, Mike Marshall is an American nonprofit executive with 30 years of political campaign, civic engagement, and advocacy experience at both the national and international level. Uh, you've been doing this for a while, working I've- with the public. We're working with the public, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. And spent many, many years working on marriage equality uh, in California and Oregon and fighting for that, that battle. Right, right. So you're no stranger to controversy. Uh, <laughs> that's other people's controversy. <laughs> okay. Um, I like that answer. I like that answer. And, and, and so as director of Oregon Recovers, and, and I just want to uh, mention here a, a couple of things. I'm just going to give the description that's on the website really quickly. Oregon Recovers is an inclusive statewide coalition comprised of people in recovery and their friends and family uniting to transform Oregon healthcare to ensure world-class prevention, treatment, and recovery support services for Oregonians Oregonians suffering from the disease of addiction. Uh, Within five years, Oregon will be known as the recovery state, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, But some shocking news to some people, uh, not to us because we talk about this all the time, but there's a lot of people listening. They don't they don't know this. Uh, Addiction costs the state of Oregon approximately six billion dollars annually. You know, it says five point nine. But come on. Six billion dollars. There's no and I found this really interesting. There's no single point of accountability or authority within state government. That's right. Um, There's no people in recovery in the decision making roles. And that's wrong. That's odd. Right? That's crazy. Yeah. You know, um, and the significant uh, cost to us, we, foster care, youth incarceration, homelessness, truancy, uh, high school uh, graduation <laughs> rates. Oregon ranks 51st in access oh. to mental health and addiction treatment. Oh, we talked man. about that, Dave. How many states are there? 
<laughs> well, how do we rank Monty? 51st, Mike? You throw in the District of Columbia. Okay. Oh. Okay. There you go. That makes sense. And that number's actually gone up to 44th. So the, they're looking at numbers from 2014, 15, or 2013, 14, and 15, and then the afford, as the Affordable Care, uh, uh, Affordable Care Act kicked in, we went from 51st to 44th. Okay. Which is still not acceptable. We're at the bottom right. of the pile. So addiction is the number one health crisis in our nation. Mm-hmm. And recovery from it gets the least amount of attention because of stigma. Right. And one of the things that we're dedicated to here at Take 12 Recovery Radio is breaking stigma. And hopefully today we're going to do some of that. Um, this, is a sh- this, is, this is a statement that's just not acceptable at all. No meaningful prevention, long wait times for treatment. Right. Gosh, we know that. Right. We can get you in in six months. After you're dead, right? And poor aftercare. Ain't that the truth? Right. Um, so, Mike, Marshall, thank you for coming all the way down from Portland to talk it's about a, it's a Oregon honor recovers. To be here. Yeah. So, tell us about this thing, man. What, tell us about what this movement's about, what, sure. what you guys are doing to help break down, no pun intended, break down the walls of stigma. Right. When it comes to this issue, well, it's it's both stigma and politics, uh, and at the root of politics is some stigma, but also uh, an ignorance about yeah. the impacts. Like when you go to legislators and say, "Hey, this report from ten years ago said the cost is five point nine billion dollars," that's brand new news to them. They have no, there's been no one up till now linking the dots between the cost of uh, a completely overwhelmed foster care system or the, the cost of low high school graduation rates, let alone the cost uh, to our healthcare companies and the economic impact that untreated addiction um, has on those. And part of it, uh, and the way I got involved this was with this was talking to my old boss, uh, Governor Kitzhaber, and saying, hey, you're a medical doctor. Right. You were governor for three terms. How is it you left us in last place in 51st? Gotcha. And, you know, he had some good systems reasons, but they said, Mike, at the end of the day, here's the biggest problem. Oregon has a revenue uh, uh, deficit all the time because of the lack of a sales tax. We have this weird – we always have a bad True. budget system. So yeah. every budget cycle in Salem – he said, Mike, I have everybody, every constituency, business, labor, uh, healthcare workers, domestic violence survivors, everybody across the table asking for more money and demanding uh, change. I've never had the recovery community sitting across my desk demanding change. Um, and it's, it's true. We have no political constituency. And as a consequence, there was this great series back in uh, 2014 that the Oregonian did. And in it, they quoted Senator Mona Sanderson, who's a big ally of ours, who said the perception in the Salem Capitol is that alcoholics and addicts don't vote. And that's probably true if they're active. Mm -hmm. But there's at least a quarter of a million people in recovery in Oregon based on national statistics. And God knows we probably all voted higher levels than everybody else because... Being a good citizen is part of our recovery, You right? betcha. And you then betcha. you throw in our families and friends. But what has been lacking is I've never sat there, as political as I am, and looked at how did this candidate vote on these issues relative to addiction? Or what is this political party statement relative to addiction? We've never had uh, a body or individuals linking <coughs> our votes, you know, helping us link our votes to better outcomes around addiction. And so Oregon Recovers came together to, number one, begin to mobilize the recovery community around the state and to get us off the sidelines, to deal with the notion that anonymity precludes us from advocacy, and one is not the other. My personal anonymity in my program is not relevant to my advocacy for state Mm -hmm. government. But um, And there's a... uh, 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 a fascinating film called um, The Anonymous, Anonymous People. People. Yep. And in that, they, they chart the history of how under uh, Nixon, there was a specific political strategy to criminalize addiction amongst hippies and, and African-Americans uh, with heroin and marijuana. Because gotcha. by campaigning against those as wedge issues. And what happened was you had the recovery community led by, you know, Dr. Bill and or Bill W. Oh. and um, Dr. Bob. Years ago, they used to go up, up on Capitol Hill. They used to testify in front of Congress. Yeah. They used to have press conferences. But in the 70s and then when Reagan came along, equally in the 80s, 
the recovery community went underground. Went underground. Yeah. Addiction was criminalized. Do you do you think? Uh, and I don't want to pick on my my brothers and sisters in the Main Street Twelve Step fellowships. So please, those who are listening, don't think I'm throwing you under the bus. But I do have this concern. First of all, anonymity does not mean secrecy. Right. And we've misunderstood the anonymity tradition mm-hmm. terribly. It has more to do with leveling of your pride and and not being boastful and all that kind of thing. Um, and uh, it doesn't mean you don't share your story. You can share your story without making yourself a representative of AA or NA or Celebrate Recovery or Alcoholics for Christ or whoever your group is. Um, but we've we've kind of gone, we hide in the basements of our churches and meeting halls, right? Because we misunderstand the anonymity tradition and therefore people don't know that the 12-step fellowships actually are, are, are more active than they think they are. Right. And, and that they work. And I noticed uh, in traveling from Akron, uh, New York, and coming out here, at, at taking the station and going from state to state and moving out in different things, that when we get to Oregon, right, that all of a sudden, it's like, where did everybody go? Right. Have you found that to be true? Um I can only compare it to California, which is where I right. lived before I moved to Oregon. And I, I definitely think... Uh, particularly in urban areas, that there uh, there's less stigma in the workplace or in your neighborhood yeah. around addiction. So there are less uh, obvious consequences of talking about the fact that you're in recovery. Um, you know, I'm I'm a loud drunk Irishman, so I can't keep a secret. Like <laughs> you know, everybody around me has to know my success and my recovery. You know, right, and. Right. And, uh, and, and, uh, but I get if you're a single mom and you have a job and you think that at all by talking about the, you, how your success and your recovery is going to help you, might help you lose your job or yeah. not get that promotion mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't want those people to speak up. I, you know, that, that woman has to focus on, on her responsibilities to her children and whatever, but we have to create a world in which that doesn't happen. Honestly, I had a meeting with people at the Oregon Health Authority a week ago, and I brought up the fact that there are virtually no one in recovery in any meaningful roles within their agency. And and there was pushback and saying, well, we don't actually – we can't ask that question, right, when recruiting people. And uh, secondly, uh, one of them said to me, you know, it uh, just because they're not in recovery – I mean, just because they're not out to us as in recovery doesn't mean that – they don't bring that valued uh, life experience to our deliberations. And I push back on that because if it, it's if you can't talk about your own personal experience, then you are uh, – uh, there is a wall to being able to say, well, we're problem solving. We're trying to figure out how to fix this broken addiction service system and recovery support system in Oregon. If I'm not comfortable within the highest levels of the Oregon Health Authority – talking about my recovery, then there's something seriously wrong at the highest levels of the Oregon Health Authority relative gotcha. to people's perceptions of recovery. And I don't mean that as a criticism to sure. any folks from OHA, but it just te- it demonstrates that stigma is at the highest level. And um, the only way we're going to address that is, uh, number one, for some of us who have the privilege that we have to do that. Um, but number two, I would also argue that up till now, there hasn't been anyone inviting people in recovery to advocate, right. Right. To, to come to Salem, to call their county supervisor, to, to do whatever. And we're changing that um, uh, in a really meaningful way and, and in a practical way. Um, years ago, I served on the advisory board for Lynn County Alcohol and Drug Services. And um, uh, Tony over there, uh, the executive director, came to me and he said, he, he, he said, would you be willing to do this? Because it dawned on us that we have nobody on our board that's from the recovery community. <laughs> yeah. And this is Lynn County Alcohol and Drug. Yeah, and I said, well, yeah. And I served for, for four years over there. And then um, our friend Mike D, um, he's, he's now in my position over there. But um, I thought that was shocking. So I'm not surprised. Right. So is it getting better? Um, I would say that we're raising the visibility of it. I think Oregon Health Authority, for example, is has a new director and they're going to start doing a reorganization. And I think so us coming online at this po- moment and raising these issues is an important one. Right. Um, uh, you know, the governor appointed an opioid task force in the spring and they've delivered their report. There was no one in recovery on that. 
<laughs> opioid task force wow. and that was you know appointed in May and and we made several recommendations to that mm-hmm. the alcohol and drug policy commission which we're trying to work very closely with which is actually under the guise of law or under uh, uh, by legislative <laughs> definition the single point of accountability it just has never risen to the occasion in the last 10 years and we're trying to get them to fulfill their legislative mandate but until we just got two additional people on who are in recovery there were only out of 15 two people in recovery um on that for the last several years and not surprisingly it couldn't get a quorum ever and it canceled 14 out of its last 18 meetings up until september against the backdrop of the opioid epidemic and the the legalization of cannabis and the fact that you know, uh, we have some of the highest addiction rates in the country. You betcha. And and the Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission couldn't get a quorum. Um, so we're pushing hard on this issue. It's one that, you know, good people who have background addictions who are not in recovery, mm-hmm. who are our allies on everything else, mm-hmm. don't necessarily understand. But we have to create a transformation or <coughs> it's not a good enough when you're 44th, if at best right. we are, to tweak at the edges or to improve by 10%. We have to transform the system. We have to create a new paradigm. That's going to require the passion of the recovery community, both to advocate for it, but also to lead it. Do you think that, okay, so I, I know I used to say this to my wife all the time. If you don't instill a sense of urgency in some people, they're just going to blow you off. Right. You know, uh, <clears throat> that goes from showing up at the emergency room, you know, because you've got something going on. And you, it, I mean, I kind of put on an act so I can get in there. Yeah. You know, I'm hurting this bad, you know, otherwise you're going to sit there for two, three hours. Is there a sense of urgency within local government? Do they even realize how huge the addiction crisis is in the state? So uh, we're a statewide advocacy organization. Our focus is on fixing it at the very top because absent the systems, the folks at the county level and the city level, right. you know, the CCOs or the, the county health department's. They're trying to grapple with an absence of state services and the absence of a continuum of care in which they fit in as part of that continuum of care. So we're starting at the top and want to work down because I would argue probably where you'll find people in recovery is at the county level. Uh, You know, Multnomah County Addictions is run by several people in recovery. Uh, Lane County, same thing. Uh, Carla Ayers is there and she's 30 years in recovery. So – uh, I would say at the local level, it's the absence of resources as well as a system. And by a co- continuum of care, let me just say, if I sat here right now and told you, oh, well, I'm having um, uh, uh, chest pains, you'd call an ambulance. And the minute 911 operator answered, she'd take responsibility for my condition. Right. Then the ambulance driver would show up and he would take responsibility. And then he'd hand that over to the emergency room folks who would then hand it over to the specialist who then would hand it over to my primary care person who would monitor my heart the rest of my life. We do not have that same system for the uh, disease of addiction. So if someone calls the state hotline today and says, I have a drug or alcohol problem, They'll give them references to maybe two or three treatment mm-hmm. programs at an AA meeting in their neighborhood and hang up the phone. That'll be it. And that'll be, be it. And then, so let's say they, on their own initiative, they actually go to an AA meeting. And I think we all know how intimidating that is when we're first thinking you that's bet. what we need. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that's not a, a healthcare response to a disease. That's a community response yeah. to a disease. And um, so... We have to figure out how um, uh, to do intervention in a more meaningful way. We, thankfully, we've started to decriminalize possession, which is great, so that people, particularly communities of color, don't walk through life the rest of their life with a, something on their record. However, that's also taking the carrot and stick away from uh, uh, us uh, addicts and alcoholics who need someone to force us into treatment oftentimes. Because because treatment does not have to be voluntary to be effective. Right, mm-hmm. right. It does right? not. Um, yeah. uh, and we so we have to figure that out. But then uh, we need a system that goes, you know, sort of figures out how to pick people up and refer them. Our primary care people have to be front and center on this. I go to my doctor and give her grief every six months because she <laughs> never asks do. about my recovery. <laughs> and uh, I, I was talking to another, the actual addiction psychiatrist at Kaiser, and I said, you know, you guys never ask me about my recovery when I come in here. And he said, well, Mike, you know, we don't want to insult you guys that are in long-term recovery. And I'm like, <laughs> and right then and there, you're assigning a stigma to the you fact are. that I, 
you, you are thinking I will be hurt or insulted that you ask me about my life's biggest accomplishment, which is my recovery. Um, and you're a medical doctor, a like 40-year-old medical doctor, not even some 75-year-old who, you know, never had addiction medicine. Um, so we have to create this continuum of care, which includes intervention. That, that Then there's multiple treatment options, whether it's mandatory treatment or outpatient treatment or whatever the case may be. Um, that's science-based. That's, you know, I went to 28 days in residential treatment. Thank God. I'm sober today. I'm a week from today. Hopefully, I'll have 10 years. But is that long enough, though? I don't know. Dave, no Dave s- let me ask you, Dave. <laughs> okay, so, so Dave's a, a CADC MN249 whatever 2. Well, I'm, a, I'm a LADC in Minnesota and a CADC 2 in Oregon. It's, it's tw- now, now, I'm glad 28 Days got you kick-started right. into the thing. But, you know, overall, for the person who is truly not just a drug abuser, but is truly an addict, okay, is 28 days long enough? Oh. Well, in your speaking experience? from personal experience, because <laughs> I am uh, a person in long-term recovery. Right. Uh, which means that I haven't had a drug or drink in over 13 years. Congratulations. So, but it took me to the point where uh, I had to become ready to quit. And again, what we talked about secrets and the, the stigma and all this. Me personally, uh, I can't let any of that hold me back, you know? Right. Um, as you well know, Monty, I, I, I speak out pretty loudly on sure. recovery issues because I think it's important that uh, uh, all addicts have a voice. And we have to we have to get rid of that stigma of, of mm-hmm. feeling like we're going to get beat over the head, beat over the head, or not get provided services. Um. So I know I've got I went through twenty eight days uh, 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 treatment residential twice. Um, and I know plus I've gone to a couple other uh, outpatient uh, treatment centers, and I know that. 28 days really is I, we lovingly call it spin dry yeah because right. basically you have enough time to uh, mm-hmm. get the drugs or alcohol out of your system and get stabilized but you really haven't worked on recovery issues yet you you get thrown necessarily I mean, the, the, right. the center that I went to they do a really good job at presenting enough information and they given they they were able to give you enough opportunity uh to seek out different things. Like mm-hmm. I had to, be, I remember the second time I was there, I had to be an advocate for myself because I chose, I didn't want to leave this place without looking at every option that might be going on, yeah. roll, roll out and then hit the ground running. Uh, personally, it took me coming to the end of myself after about 25 years of getting tired, you know, sick and tired of being sick and tired to realize that I need to do something different. Um, I did, re- you know, all those you know, the 28-day programs, all the information that I got came, would always come back, you know. They, we lovingly say, you know, that that treatment wrecks any future addiction. Right. Because every time you get into your addiction, you start remembering all those things yeah. sure. that you learned in treatment. Sure. Yeah. So I finally got tired of tired of running that, running in that, uh, in a little hamster cage and, and uh, do something different. And I'm, I came here a couple years ago. Uh, from Minnesota, and here I thought here Oregon, you know, they must every isn't every state the same, you know, as far as <laughs> treatment and recovery, and and uh, I, I was shocked, you know, to hear that we are fifty first because uh, Minnesota is kind of other other end of the spectrum, and so uh, when Oregon recovers came into play, I get really excited, you know, me and Denver went up there to the rally. We get fired up and um, uh, uh, excited about getting involved, uh, if we could, into what what what, uh, what you guys have planned over there. Um, I carry around a sign in the back of my truck. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And thank you, because if it wasn't for you actually notifying me, I wouldn't have – I don't know why. I'm usually on top of this stuff, so shame on me. But I wouldn't have heard about Oregon Recovers. You know, and then I wouldn't be able to have met you and that. So thank you guys for going up there and doing that. Um, Monty, if I could yeah. just follow along with yes, that. Yes, please is, do. There, the treatment of any disease, there's it's not one size fits all, right? right. Of course not. And, and there's multiple, yeah. multiple ways to approach things. And so 28 days was perfect for me, actually. You, it worked but, great, yeah. Uh, uh, f- 
for folks, other folks, 90 days at Salvation Army is what works or, or two years. At, uh, or, you know, somebody can just do outpatient. My partner Everybody's has never different. gone to, yeah. to uh, treatment. So um, our, our doctors have to look at what are, you know, the, the pattern. Uh, have you been to treatment before? They have to look at sort of what safe space you live in uh, and what world, you know, because it's a contagious disease, right? Like right. we can get people clean and sober and then put them back into the infectious home. Right. And, and there you go. Uh, you know, so uh, we, it comes back to our focus on wanting to create a continuum of care that puts uh, a huge focus on prevention because we have virtually no prevention. <clears throat> and as the saying goes, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound and cure. And we need to <laughs> like have... That. We need to have someone at the highest level of government saying, okay, my department is responsible for taking us from one in 10 Oregonians suffering from addiction to one in 20 in five years or 10 years, whatever mm -hmm. we think is manageable. But nobody has that responsibility. And then the other part of that metric is, okay, we need to go from having this many people in recovery who suffer from addiction to this many people in recovery who suffer from addiction. Those are the two metrics that any state policy should be focused on. And there's no one anywhere in state government even asking those questions. Do, That's do, what we're focused on changing. And so what I'm, what I'm hearing again, again and again and again, I see it in the faith community. I see it in the secular community. I see it in the recovery community. And I see it in, in, in just people in general, shop owners, store owners, people, is that we're still dealing at the root of all this with this medical issue versus moral dilemma. Right. And so because the the things that come, because of some of the behaviors that follow active addiction scream really loud. Right. Right. My diabetes doesn't scream really loud at you. Right. You know, my meth addiction takes your car stereo out of your car and breaks into your home. And people, right. and quite frankly, and understandably so, people are sick of that. Doctors are tired of us throwing up on their shoes and not paying our bills. Right. So the behavior, not the addiction, but the behavior behind active addiction screams really loud. And it's, an, it's quite frankly unacceptable. Um, but how do we separate that in people's heads? How do we, how do we, convince people that this is a medical di uh, situation with many times with a spiritual solution, but it's a medical issue. How do we do that? People don't seem to want right. to want to buy that. Well, I, I think uh, conversations like this through the media is really, really important. And the way you generate media anymore is you have to, you know, have a bill introduced. You have to have a rally. You have to have some activity around which the media can come and begin to tell that story. And then you really organize who the voices are that are communicating that. We get people um, to start to um, come out of the shadows and actually tell people they work with and their family members that they're in recovery. Right. And what that means, it's not a matter of just saying I'm in recovery, but uh, you know, this notion, my parents, God bless them, they still say, oh, do you still go to meetings? And, and right. I, so I take every opportunity there in their 80s and I'm like, well, yeah, because it's my medicine. You know, and I don't go to a meeting every day, but I think about my recovery day and I tell myself, I diagnose my problem every morning. I'm an alcoholic. What am I going to do today? Uh, cognitive therapy, group therapy, AA, uh, meditation, go for a jog, you know, what it, whatever my formula for my own right, uh, right. Uh, recovery. It's like, do you still work out? Right. Do you still go to church? Right. Do you still do, you know, you do, we have no problem talking about that stuff. Right. Um, we also have to get the medical profession to change. You know, I, I, I told the story earlier about my own doctor just, uh, you know, always never asks me about it. But I was in the emergency room on New Year's Eve day because I had walking pneumonia. And the, the nurse says to me, so I'm going to give you a codeine prescription uh, for... Yes, medicine. please. Yes, please. Exactly. <laughs> oh, totally. In my head, I was like, score. And then I just looked at her and I said, I'm in recovery. And she was like... Oh, oh, okay. Then we'll do a non-narcotic one. But I'm like, it's right there in the computer. I know, it's in your file. Like, why right. is it when you're Big when you're pulling up my thing? Does it say do not prescribe uh -huh. narcotics without consulting both the patient and some other? Yeah, you know, my primary care person. Like, that's dangerous to mm -hmm. me. And uh, you're right. That's exactly my first reaction was, woo. 
I mean, I felt sure. I felt bad. I did was not feeling well. Yeah, and I got a buzz like right then and oh, there. I the notion I that I was going to get some cough medicine <laughs> yeah. was going to give me a buzz. Like, and I've been sober ten years now. Like, so I don't think that ever really fully goes well, that, away, though. And that's no, it a doesn't. huge part. Doctors don't all. understand yeah, that. Don't when get I it try and all. explain that, or when my partner relapses, uh-huh. that's a threat to my sobriety. Mm-hmm. And so, sure. like, I reached out to my doctor. Uh, to say, hey, my partner relapsed. I need to have to talk to you about how can I, uh, what should I refer him to, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And because of HIPAA or whatever, she, her response was via email was like, I can't talk to you about it. You need to talk. I need to talk to him. They need to, he needs and I was to like, right. Yeah. Right. But you can talk to me about my recovery. And part of my protection here has to be getting him what he needs like mm-hmm. there so there the complete lack of understanding of addiction as a disease in the medical profession then permeates i think society in general yeah even the people who have walked this road with us like my parents who still don't get that i don't Mm-mm. get cured exactly. i don't it's a chronic disease so, that requires a continuum of care so we cannot wait for those guys <laughs> nope. i say that to understand us right we have to band together and do our part anyway. Right. And so here is uh, the statement of principles for Oregon Recovers. Oregon Recovers believes all Oregonians have a right to immediate on-demand access to safe, effective treatment. So let's, let's unpack that real quick. Immediate doesn't mean three months from now. Right. <laughs> After you, you've you know, overdosed at, in the Safeway parking lot. Right. right? Immediate means immediate. That's a that's a tall order, brother. Yep, that's a tall order. It is. Oregon Recovers will work to eradicate the stigma associated with addiction, which currently serves as a barrier to recovery. Talk about a wall. That one we built a long time ago. Right. Right. Oregon Recovers will work to build a universal understanding that addiction is a chronic disease and a public health concern, not a criminal justice problem. Isn't it though? The symptoms of the disease are a criminal justice issue. Gotcha. But the disease itself is exactly that. And trying to get people to separate that is, again, we can't wait for them to understand that. But we are advocating within the state to begin to do that. For example, the executive director of the Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission reports to the governor's public safety and military affairs advisor, not the public health advisor. And as a result, they haven't really done anything for the last five years because – She's not responsible for the the health outcomes that the Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission is responsible for advancing. So that simple change alone will make when and there, thankfully there's a new public health advisor for the governor. And if we are successful um, in getting that change, it'll have a big impact on the system. So this one I'm a little confused about, and it's probably because of my own personal opinion. Oregon recovers will embrace. The broadest interpretations of treatment and recovery, including MAT and harm reduction. Now, amongst many of us 12-steppers, yep. harm reduction is a dirty word. Right. And I think maybe some of that's because we don't understand it because, you know, we're so kind of cemented into 12 steps and stuff like that. But, but eh, right. so, it kind of scares me when I hear that word. So MAT, M-A-T, is a, a medication-assisted treatment. Right. We actually have slash MAR, we want people to start talking about medication-assisted recovery mm-hmm. um, and not just focus on the the process, but the outcome. Harm reduction, um, uh, you know, for many people, that is a step towards full abstinence. But um, what we did not want to do was launch a uh, movement that immediately had people taking sides. Um, gotcha. And, and, so it's all uh, inclusive. Your recovery is none of my business, right? Right. And, and my recovery is none of your business. So if someone identifies as being a part of the recovery community because they have successfully or they're trying to go from using every day to once a month, who am I to... If that's their journey. Yeah. That, right. This is, again, this is not, has nothing to do with my own recovery. Right. This is about building a political movement to advance public policy changes. And so we need a coalition as big as possible who are committed to those changes. So I am not against Suboxone, Vivitrol, uh, and some of these other things. What I, what, what I highly am very irritated about is treatment facilities that don't wean their folks off of before they release them. Mm -hmm. 
And there's some, for instance, uh, Astoria Point, which is part of the Sunspire Recovery Network. They are adamant. You don't leave here until you've weaned off the Suboxone. Right. It just doesn't happen. I think that's the right thing. But we've got a lot of people managing their addiction through Suboxone and Methadone. And that's a whole other show. But, right. Um, and, and that worries me. Well, and, and as an abstinence a person in absence recovery, I, I understand that. At the yeah. same time, you release someone from the hospital and they take uh, medication for their heart condition the rest of their life, or they take medication for their diabetes the rest of their life. Um, uh, if we're going to actually treat d- uh, addiction as a disease, we have to recognize that there's. I got that, but aren't those weren't those created to help people wean off? Not something as a lifelong medication? No, not if, if it can serve as a lifelong medication and it's what works for people. The problem I have is when you throw people – they're hard to get, and particularly in rural parts of Oregon. So if you t- send someone back out there w- into a world in which they can't actually get their medication because there are plenty of doctors who don't want to – Then they're going to get this. their other medication. Exactly. Right. So if you don't actually look at what's uh, uh, the the – uh, environment in which someone's going to be um, taking care of themselves, and you you do that, that's that's wrong. Gotcha. Oregon Recovers will insist that both substance use and addiction be addressed at every level of health care. Right. Oregon Recovers will insist that treatment be viewed as a continuum of care that includes community-based recovery support. So what do you mean by community-based recovery support? You're talking about your 12-step programs and churches? And oh, no, I mean, look you... at the Alano Club in um, gotcha. Portland. Uh, they started as a 12-step-based meeting space. But um, the things that they're doing now, they were re- recently nationally recognized in Washington, D.C. for uh, uh, the wellness aspect of programs they're doing. They're doing something next week on trauma and recovery, um, uh, meditation and recovery, meditation and relapse. They, they have a physical boot camp that they're running for people in recovery. To, to, to exercise um, uh, uh, so it's looking at the, the the spectrum of recovery support housing and jobs for many folks that are, are in recovery have to be a core part of this you know we got a bunch of opioid money for example um, as a consequence of the bill that Congress passed in January that no one remembers there was a bipartisan bill that put six billion dollars into fighting the opioid epidemic um, Oregon's share of it, something like 99% of it, is just going to treatment. Well, that as we said earlier, you can put someone in a space for 15 days, 28 days, 90 days, and then you throw them back out into the world in which they became infected with right. addiction. And you don't um, – they have a criminal record, so finding housing or finding a job, um, you're, we're wasting taxpayer money when we do that. If we don't have more resources – of getting people out of the addictive environment, addictive environment, and into right. a, a, another environment. So, recovery support services needs to be a really broad spectrum. But at the same, and at the same time, it could just be that um, you know, I was talking to a woman in Redmond who, when she was getting sober, she got out of treatment. She didn't have a car. She had to ride her bike eight miles to attend an AA meeting because she didn't have money for public transportation. And so, when it rained and snowed. Her her recovery was totally threatened. And it doesn't help when some old timer goes. I walked fourteen yeah, miles right. to my right. meeting. Right. right. <laughs> um, so we have to figure out what people need and how to be supportive of their recovery. I think that's a huge part because, it, in all the underlying thing is, you know, that's kind of the elephant in every room is the, is the money aspect of right. it. There's a right. lot. I mean, there's a lot of things out there that a lot of people want to do, but economically holds them back because they you know they, there's a lot of people that would like to get in involved in, in jobs in the recovery community right but there's just there's no money i mean even even the healthcare uh i've been dealing with them since i've been here and you know, i've talked to some places they said they're running at like a 20 percent um capacity which means you know they only have 20 percent of the employees that they really need to do right. to, to manage everything well, it's because the reimbursement rates for uh right. are so so low here in oregon Actually, I think I don't know if it's been implemented yet, but we've actually moved the addiction, the reimbursement rates for addiction workforce up to parity with mental health, which is only 40 percent of what primary care is. So there's huge discrimination against our workforce um, uh, and we have to address that. The money issue is a really important one. There is not enough money in the state system right now, and it's one of the reasons that we are so abysmal at what we do. However, 
we recognized early on from our perspective of having a political agenda that absent, number one, a leadership team at the highest level, and then number two, a strategic plan that that puts together this paradigm that is a, a continuum of care that is recovery-based and not just focused on acutely dealing with these issues, but instead recognizing we have a chronic problem, <clears throat> that until we have a plan um, with specific outcomes really identified as to you invest in this plan, you'll get these outcomes, We that it politically it's not viable to try and put more money into the system. The fact is Oregon has the lowest beer tax in the country. Um, uh, other states are starting to uh, tax opioid prescriptions to pay for the impacts of it. Uh, you know, uh, cannabis, the, the taxation levels really vary from community to community at the state level. They're pretty low because they wanted to encourage the development of a cannabis market. So in the long term, there should be more revenue for that. Um, but across the board, we have to go to the voters at some point because the legislators don't like to raise taxes right. and certainly not right. a beer tax. Right. Uh, but before we do that, number one, we want to do more work. Uh, 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 helping the public understand that this is a disease and not a moral failing. And number two, we want to say to the public, okay, we're going to raise your craft beer price five cents. But look, this is the problem. This is how bad Oregon deals with it. And if you do that, we're going to lower the number of kids in foster care. We're going to increase graduation rates. Um, uh, We're going to reduce the homeless problem by dealing with this other root-causing issue that we're ignoring at the moment. I think the voters of Oregon are going to be responsive to that, but if we were to just go to them tomorrow and say, raise a beer tax without laying that foundation, Anheuser-Busch yeah, would come in and... You'd have a and, fight and, on your hands. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'd be a fight. We'd get, we'd get slaughtered. Yeah, get, you would get slaughtered. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got a question. Yeah. Does Is Oregon Recovers getting involved with uh, people in other states that have gone through similar... Oh, it's a great question. So uh, I actually, on Wednesday, I'm going to San Francisco, and I'm going to meet um, while I'm there with the folks that run an advocacy organization for California. From what I can tell, there's not a network of state advocacy organizations. There are few that are as politically focused as we are in terms of we have a clear policy agenda with a political strategy behind it that's evolving. Yeah. Uh, We're six months old. Uh, But um, uh, there are new national advocacy organizations that are beginning to develop national political agendas. And what I would love to see is for one of them to try and go get some resources to begin fostering groups like ours. So helping us with money and helping us with technical assistance. Advocacy is not hard, but it's not something a lot of people have a background in. And I know this Mm -hmm. from my work in the marriage equality movement was in 1999 when I first got involved, there was no infrastructure, there was no help as mm-hmm. we tried to advance the idea of equal marriage rights. Um, Fifteen years later, when we went to the Supreme Court, there was a national organization that sole purpose was to help advance that in every 50 state. Um, and I think that sort of model is really what we need ultimately. For is um, Oregon Recovers. But I, and I would love to see Oregon Recovers actually, as we get on our feet, be a part of uh, helping these other states advance this. Now, we, um, we're almost out of time, so I want you to talk about this event coming up. But before we do that, on the statement, within five years, Oregon will be known as the recovery state. That talk. takes us from 44th to 1st. That, gotcha. that other states are so going... that's the five-year let's goal, look right? at what Yeah, let's look at what... And, you know, if it's six years, that's okay. But in five years, we want, you know, we want other states to be saying, hey... Oregon transformed itself. It created a new paradigm. Let's see what we can learn from that. We're a state of 4 million people. We have a reasonably progressive electorate. We should be able to advance the reforms that we want in a manageable time time and really have an impact right away. Um, Because let's face it, if we can get more people in recovery, even if it's two weeks out of the month instead of three days out of the month, mm-hmm. we're going to see a huge financial benefit and our kids are going to see benefits oh, from course. that, right? Yeah. And so it's one of these issues that's bipartisan. It bridges the urban-rural divide because, as we started out saying, there's no boundaries. Um, and it's one that can is a huge cost driver for the state budget, but the immediate investment will have an immediate impact, whereas often other investments right. in social service policies – take two or three budget cycles to actually sure. see the impact sure. of it. We're not, we don't have that here. So, yes, can I talk about the two events? Yes. Okay, so 
On February 13th, for the first time, we're going to have a recovery day lobby day in Salem. And we have a bill that Representative Sanchez has introduced that tells the Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission they have to meet their legislative requirement of developing a strategic plan by September 15th each year. They're a little daunted by that, but that's okay. The first year may (laughs) not be a great plan, but we're putting a deadline in. And then the second part of it is telling the Oregon Health Authority that they – they are required to do an annual or biannual uh, report card on addiction. They've never done it. So November 15th of even number years, we're putting that in there. It's an accountability bill. It's small. There's no money involved. But we're going to um, uh, bring people to Salem on the um, uh, Tuesday, February 13th. Go to our website, www.oregonrecovers.org. Right. And uh, there, I think, under the button that says join, there's a place to sign up and say that um, you can participate. If you can give us two hours, four hours, that that would be fantastic. We're going to meet with legislators. We're going to say we're in the recovery community. We're going to start to create a voice so that they know that their constituencies, constituents care about this issue. In advance of that, on um, January 28th, so this coming Sunday, yep. we're doing the mobilization for recovery in Portland. First hour, we're gonna. It's at four o'clock at Cinema Twenty One. Again, uh, go to our uh, Facebook page, and there's uh, Oregon Recovers Facebook page, and there's a, a sign up there. Tickets are free, but we just want people to register. We're gonna show the anonymous people this great film about amazing, uh, yeah. you know, getting off the sidelines, and then we're gonna talk about what Lobby Day looks like and sign people up. Good deal. Good deal. And you can uh, get to all that. Uh, you can go to take12radio.com. We have uh, the Oregon Recovery's logo link on our Excellent. main page right up in front there. And it's right under the description of uh, the show today. And it will remain up under Exchange Church and Potomatic and iTunes and a couple other doohickeys there. Um, so it's just a little thing. It looks like the outline of the state of Oregon. And just click on that. You'll get all of your information. If you want to get involved with Oregon Recoveries, you can do that. Uh, you can learn more about it. You can learn more about our guest, Mike Marshall, as well. Mike, thank you so much. Oh, it was, yes, just, thank uh, you. It was, it was a real fun. joy to be here. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I got goosebumps just listening. You got goosebumps? <laughs> so we're all going to go to the site, well. right? We're learn about the site. sign up to get involved. And, and, and I'm an allowed Italian. I can talk. And I'm there you go. not ashamed to share my story. She can. She can <laughs> indeed. The website is OregonRecovers.org. Uh, make sure you check it out. And our closing song today is called Step by Step. Heather Lane, who is going to be here uh, at Hope Church at Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday, the 13th of March. Uh, this is one of her songs uh, you don't want to miss that. And Tony's going to tell us how you can listen to the show, and so is Denver, and then we're going to sign off. <laughs> you can listen and download any of our shows by going to Take12Radio.com and clicking on the Follow Me on Podomatic. Once you're there, you can download our app for Android or iOS, and you can comment on the shows, love us or hate us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also listen to our shows on our YouTube channel. You simply go to Take12Radio.com uh, and click on the YouTube icon. And if you'd like to send us uh, your email, uh, our email address is Take12Radio at Comcast.net. That is Take12Radio at Comcast.net. And here is Heather Lane with Step by Step. Step
Heather Lane. You can hear more of her music at heatherlane.com. That's L-A-Y-N-E is how you spell her last name. And don't forget, coming up on March 13th, that's a Tuesday at 7 p.m., the concert starts. Heather Lane, recovery recording artist, will be here in Albany at Hope Church. And if you want more information on that, feel free to just give me an email at take12radio at comcast.net. Special thank you to Mike Marshall, our guest today, Director of Oregon Recovers. Check out their website at OregonRecovers.org for all their information. Until our next broadcast, this is the Take 12 Recovery Radio family, and we're wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye now. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. She's a super cat, super cat, she's super kitty, meow. Yeah.